Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Danny. Hey. Hey, how are you? Very well, how are you? Pretty good. What is your most anticipated film? Of the year. Uh, Venom. Venom. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. I can't fucking wait for Venom. There's a very cool new poster actually out for that, uh, which I recommend checking out. Great big Venom on there. Um, loads of characters, loads of locations. Everything's happening. It's photoshopped out the wazoo. It looks fucking awesome. Can't wait. Can't That's wait. coming out like two weeks. Very Ooh, exciting. Very excited for that. But what else have you got on your horizon that you that you like the look of? Oh, um, The Grinch. The Gr- Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Uh, was, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, it's a new animated version of The Grinch. Excellent. From the studio that made Despicable Me. Can't wait. Can't Fantastic. Wait. It was all animated. Oh, it's all animated, yeah. Wow, he's okay. He's doing like an American accent. He's very good at it. Very good at it. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have my own uh, movie that I've, I'm looking forward to myself. It's nothing like those. What's, what, what's that? Well, those are blockbusters, you know, and I think we should be supporting independent cinema. You're right. Um, and I also like movies that are very current, you know, films that are about like current events, things that are happening now that have something really to say about the age that we live in. Because sometimes we talk about how like, you know, movies don't always feel like they have a handle on things that are going on right now and, you know, don't feel relevant to today. And they're sort of wallowing in the nostalgia of the past to get away from current events and stuff. So I like films that really tackle what's going on right now gotcha. that don't shy away from um, contemporary affairs. Brilliant. So the film I'm most looking forward to, I would say, I'm not actually sure if this is coming out um, this week or... No, this is coming out this year. Uh, And it's called The Trump Prophecy. This is based on a true story. And it's about a fireman, a fireman, who um, gets uh, sort of visions or something, or he's like traumatized by too many fires. And he uh, receives a vision from God that informs him that Trump is going to be the president. Wow. And everyone writes off Trump um in the media and stuff when he's running but this guy knows that trump yeah there's more to trump than meets the eye i'm sure god told him god told him (laughs) exactly and what better source is there you know for outcomes of future events than god so um he's all for it and he starts an international prayer movement um to uh to support trump and it looks vaguely to be in the same along the same lines as god's not dead it's got a kind of similar vibe to that um and also that movie that sean hannity produced about like was that the prayer light or whatever? Lord that, of light. Lord of light. <laughs> Lord. So it's basically the perfect melding of Trump support and uh, Christianity and like faith-based filmmaking. If he has a prophecy that Trump's going to be president, why does he have to organize a mass praying? Surely it's just going to happen, or you know, it's just going to happen. He could do nothing, and the, it'd be the, that's not, a great. Not, that's not a clear. great question. Not maybe it, maybe the prophecy came with some demands. You know, is it like um, you know when he talked to Noah? 
he's like this is happening so be ready for it but he's like you've got to cause the flood right exactly <laughs> so yeah so, so turn the fucking taps on turn the taps on yeah use it burn a lot of uh, carbon uh... create some like bad <laughs> dams yeah bad some da- dams. put some dams in the wrong places <laughs> blow up those dams <laughs> blow up the correctly placed dams uh put dams in another place where they shouldn't be burn everyone else's boats um yeah here's a plot synopsis uh via um company called fathom events who are doing special screenings of this the trump prophecy is the story of fireman mark taylor and what he heard god tell him about america israel and the world israel doesn't really feature so much in the trailer but i guess it's an important part of the movie the event seeks to answer the question what what does make america great again really mean let's hear a little bit of the trailer how does it feel it's a little scary i have very graphic dreams Sometimes I think it's God talking to me. Dreams are important. They can give us a window to what's going on inside. I got this one in 2011. The Commander-in-Chief Prophecy? God is telling us to pray for our country, its leadership, and those in authority over us. That's what we need to do. They're going at him tooth and claw. What if I'm wrong? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. Banging. Sign me the fuck up. Most anticipated film of the year. Can't wait. We should get IMAX tickets. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I missed um, uh, Inhumans. And I think after that, this is probably the film that's going to blow people's minds the most on a visual scale. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Danny, film chat. We are, we are doing it. We host it. It's our podcast. What is it? Uh, well, Sam, film chat is a podcast all about a 168-year-old man called Dr. Sam Foster who must duplicate the ingredients to his elixir vitae. That's uh, an elixir that gives him extended life after the original was accidentally destroyed by one of his minions. Meanwhile, uh, when the diamond, the star of Leningrad, is stolen by a clockwork spider from a Soviet exhibition in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. the FBI sends a pair of special agents to seek the assistance of Scotland Yard as a card from Sam Foster's organization, the SFO, was found at the crime scene. Sir Roger Avery of the Yard fills as a job for Sam's nemesis, Sir Danny Moran, now retired. Danny correctly surmises that Sam Foster will attempt to steal the identical twin to the missing diamond that is held in the Tower of London. Danny also predicts that Sam Foster will be thwarted by the tight security, several aged beef eaters, at the tower, then will kidnap Queen Mary to gain the jewel. What follows is a fun, madcap podcast, which in no way is incredibly racially insensitive, even by the standards of the time it was made, which is now, <laughs> is what I would be saying. This is a adaptation of the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu. This is not just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and join me a man who probably wouldn't do yellow face. You probably wouldn't do that, would you? Well, I can't comment on that right now. Sam Foster. Um, so in the fiendish plot, plot of Fu Manchu, what's the organization called? Is it Fu Man or something? It's called F Man. S Fi. But I just changed it S Fi. S Fi. Okay, yeah. I thought maybe it was just like I was hoping it was an incredible coincidence. No, sorry. That's pretty close, though. Pretty close. So on this week's episode, a movie about a crazy get-rich-quick scheme, and a movie about a quick, crazy, rich getaway. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just about works. I'll be reviewing American Animals. It's a docudrama with a capital D. The D is in the middle for drama, which is a true story of college kids who decide to steal a book 
the absolute nerds. Danny, meanwhile, will be tackling Crazy Rich Asians, a romantic comedy about well-off Singaporeans which is being widely hailed as a massive step forwards for the on-screen representation of insanely wealthy people. Plus, we'll be discussing Danny Boyle's latest project, which is hopefully just a restaging of the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony, which will be screened 24-7 on its own TV channel and on every public screen in the country until this divided nation is finally healed. We'll also take a look at the reboot of the buff warrior barbarian Red Sonja. Uh, all that should leave just enough time for me to announce my latest feature film, The Iowadi Prophecy. It's the gripping tale of a fireman who has trauma after too many fires or something and receives a message from God telling him that Channel 4 is going to reboot the Crystal Maze and it's going to be presented by Richard Iowadi. Everyone calls him crazy and makes fun of him. Newspapers print story after story saying Crystal Maze reboots deemed impossible and Iowadi persona too awkward to present TV show, say experts. Bit long and unwieldy, that headline. Uh, But he begins an international movement of Christian prayer to defy his critics. Ultimately, his dream comes true on a fateful day in November 2016 when Channel 4 announces that the Crystal Maze is coming back and Richard Iowadi will be the man to present it. That's money in my bank from tickets from people buying them to see this film I'm making. You're not wrong. Danny Boyle is no longer directing Bond 25, but we don't have to wait that long for a Danny Boyle film because he's already shot one. It's a musical written by Richard Curtis, and it, we all knew about it is that it had Kate Manin in the cast and Ed Sheeran, and it was some kind of musical, but the plot was announced um, a few weeks back, and it's about a man, <laughs> the only man in the world yeah. who can remember Beatles songs. And so he obviously capitalizes on that, I assume, to make himself very famous. So it's a sort of Beatles musical, not about the Beatles, but using their music. And uh, it sounds quite bad. Quite bad, I would say. I like films about a man who wakes up one day and discovers something. I think that's a really good premise for any film. Yeah. Like 28 Days Later. Invention of Lying. The Invention of Lying. This is a bit like those (laughs) movies, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> but I think they might be going for more of a 28 days later sort of angle on it. Yeah. Because imagine the sheer horror of waking up to discover that you're, you're the only person who can remember the Beatles. Like you Google them and you just get no hits. No hits. It just says, it just says do you mean Beatles with two E's? <laughs> <laughs> Including results for Beatles. You're quoting lyrics and people are like, what are you talking about? What the about? fuck are you talking about? You're making all these references. You're a walrus? What the fuck are you talking about? You're a walrus? I'm an egg man? What do you... <laughs> You lost your marbles, mate. What are you talking about? How excited are you for this film? Do you think it sounds good or bad? To be honest, Danny, I think it sounds like the perfect film. (laughs) (laughs) For me, this is film Nirvana. You know that I'm a big Beatles fan. You know, this could be the film that heals the nation. I think this is. I think this is it. This is the this is what he's going for. Yeah. Everyone keeps telling him about the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony and about that moment of national unity. And um, I think probably he was having dinner with Richard Curtis with a mutual friend. And the yeah. friend was like, you know, and you, Richard, you also produced the other closest thing we've had to a moment of true national unity in the incredible 
final montage of Love Actually yeah. to God Only Knows by the Beach Boys, which is full of hugging. And that's what we need in the country right now, isn't it? Like, just a, just a bit of a universal experience. Everyone all, hugging and crying. All we need is love, Sam. All we need is love, actually. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I think that's probably what the film is going to be called, in fact. That wouldn't surprise me. So, like, I think these two guys are the people who will really be able to, like, they can really bridge that Remainer lever divide <laughs> that defines the country right now. Yeah. They'll probably set it in some one of those forgotten northern towns, you know, one of those, like, burnt-out burgs. It's not London. It's a place that isn't there where people have accents and stuff, and it's, like, the forgotten heartland of post-industrial, you know, England or whatever. And I think that's really going to speak to all the people who aren't from London. I'm a metropolitan elite, so I don't know what those people are like, other than that they don't drink cappuccinos. Um, don't even know what an avocado is. They don't know what an Bless avocado them. is. And, and if you've offered one to them, they probably think it was some kind of crazy French bomb or something. <laughs> and they throw it out the window. Um, so, yeah. So I think I think this is going to be it. Like I think this will not only be creatively important, but politically vital, actually. The, the one thing which i think is impressive about the movie is just the fact they've managed to license all these beatles songs which is like famously a hard thing to do right like, i think i think i think the, the hard thing to do is licensing the tracks, the tracks themselves but i don't think it's as hard to license the songs right because they've so done that before like for across the universe for example there's loads oh, of see, beatles right. songs in that and sometimes you hear i think it's much more common to hear like beatles covers used in things than the, yeah, yeah. Than the original beatles songs okay. themselves so it's not that impressive well i don't know unless across the universe had like the budget of warcraft the beginning or something but it just (laughs) they spent it all just on licensing the songs i don't know um but yeah it sounds vaguely like it would be basically the invention of lying meets across the universe doesn't it somewhere that yeah what does he do like is it is it going to be like you know when you go back in time and you've taken the lottery numbers with you so you can become super rich is it going to be like that yeah where he wakes up and he's like, I've written a great new track. And people are like, well, it sounds like it's from the 60s, but it's quite catchy. And then he becomes rich or how will that work? Not that I doubt the imagination of Richard Curtis or Danny Boyle, but I myself cannot imagine what popular music would look like without the Beatles. Oh, like, shit. Do you does, think they'll have to do what that? Does, what does a world look like? With well, they have to the reimagine the whole bands, of popular culture. Right. All yeah. the roots run back to the Beatles now, essentially. Like, how the hell do songs function yeah. without this band? They're just going to be like, this is a bit derivative of Supergrass. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think like? <laughs> or do you think the argument would be that the Beatles? It sounds were, like a what, fucking Oasis song. It wasn't. They weren't that good. They were just the first ones to do it. Like it was actually Manfred Mann, or like the biggest band in the world, or something. <laughs> Some other random sixties band. Yeah, probably. Love me do. Sounds like Hello, I Love You by The Doors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it'll be the Monkees will be uh, the biggest band of all time. Or maybe they won't exist. I don't they know. Won't. You have to, you have no, to re- they won't exist because they. You, you have to rewrite a lot of like history for this movie to make sense. Music would just, it would still just be fucking skiffle. Just it would not have evolved. How about this? Everyone has forgotten the Beatles, but all of the other stuff has not changed. So people very quickly pick it up again. Yeah, it's the you know their records are still in the shops and like, but it's just that they wake up one day and everyone's forgotten about them, and then people are trying to figure out what's this? What's this about? <laughs> what's this band you think, why can none of us remember them what you're saying is going to be a thing where like music hasn't changed at all but like so when he, so when he like when he like writes them Beatles songs they're like this is a bit derivative it's like when uh, John Carter of Mars came out it's like this is a bit like Star Wars it's like no it came first you right, don't yeah. understand that's also that is also a good way for it to go you know the more we discuss this the more excited I am for seeing how they do this you know it sounds like a stupid idea but the idea of imagining an entire you know, 50 years of musical history 
without the Beatles. I just can't wait order. to see like the look of wonder crossing characters' faces when they hear Beatles music for the first time. Particularly played by Ed Sheeran. Particularly Ed Sheeran. Did you mention Ed Sheeran? Yeah, yeah. He's in the, I think, I don't know, playing himself or playing a version of himself. Apparently it was reported she- that he would be in it. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think we know quite in what capacity. But I guess he's got he's caught the acting bug after being in Game of Thrones. And uh, Bridget Jones' baby. He played himself in that, though. Oh, did he? Convincingly. Uh, can you give me a quick praise of how he fitted into the movie? They go to a festival, Bridget and her friend... Yeah, and uh, they don't. They you know they're they're glamping and they don't really know the music and they um they sort of bump into Ed Sheeran and they just think he's like some guy who, who like runs the trains at some station. It's like, do you like? I've seen you before. And the joke is, they don't realize he's super famous. Got it. And uh, then her friend is sort of implying gets off of him. He's only in it for a bit, to be honest with you. Not that memorable, though. I have remembered every single detail of his cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, sounds pretty memorable sounds pretty memorable to me um do you think there's going to be a moment identical to the johnny be good moment from back to the future yeah where he's playing a beatles song and someone picks up the phone and they're like hey liam <laughs> <laughs> it's your, no no gallagher <laughs> yeah i mean maybe come on this is this movie is going to be excellent there's no way it's going to make you want to throw up it's not it's not going to be you know just a sickly uh disgusting turd it's going to rule yeah can't wait to watch it with my mum. Cannot wait for you to do that. You can come if you want. I'll watch it alone. I think I prefer... I don't think I should experience this with anyone else. I want it to be a private... Um, something private, just for You're me. Like a road to Damascus. Like. I just don't want people to see me crying with joy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be embarrassing. Fair enough. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, Brian Singer, he was fired from his last job, which was directing Bohemian Rhapsody, but he's retained a director's credit. His previous film, X-Men Apocalypse, was uh, critically panned. Uh, he's got numerous sexual assault <laughs> allegations uh, set against him. So I was like, it's going to be a long time before we see a Brian Singer movie. <laughs> Let me just check the old news here. Oh, he's been hired to helm a uh, film version of Red Sonja which, if you don't know, was a film in the 80s based on a character created by Robert E. Howard, who is the Conan the Barbarian creator. She was introducing the Conan comics. One of his mates. One of, uh, one of his mates. And the movie started Bridget Nielsen, who was a supermodel from the 80s, also in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, was kind of famous in the noughties for being on Celebrity Big Brother. One of those actresses from a bygone time, really. Never really escaped the 80s. Uh, she was also on Schwarzenegger's uh, girlfriend and he was also in the cast uh, not that memorable of a film <laughs> uh, and it's been in development hell for 10 years originally back in 2008 Robert Rodriguez was going to direct it with Rose McGowan attached to star but they've got the victim of the Me Too scandal out of the situation and hired one of the abusers instead seems bad 
Time's up. Time's up. Time's up, I'm afraid, Time's in Hollywood. Up. Apparently not. So I guess if you're just a white guy in Hollywood, you can survive any kind of scandal. I think Time's Up is like, it's Time's Up for the Me Too movement. That's over now. We're just <laughs> back, back to the status quo. Um, but I guess the movie's being made now because the success of Wonder Woman and the buzz around Captain Marvel... I guess studios like, do we have any sort of female-led projects lying in the desk here? Like, okay, greenlit that immediately. Yeah. Um, it does It does sound a bit like that, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, what have we got going on here? But I don't know why... It doesn't make... This this decision to have him direct it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, the last time we did a sort of, like, fantasy movie was Jack and the Giant Cutter. And no one gave I, a shit about that. Yeah, now. the movie I starred in. And, it, and I've disowned it. Even you? <laughs> Even I've disowned it. <laughs> yeah. Never seen it, don't want to watch it. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know what singers bring into the table at this point. He hasn't had a hit movie in ages. He's obviously existing under a cloud of scandal. Um, X-Men Apocalypse was a like piece of crap. Literally just got fired. Literally <laughs> was just been fired. <laughs> I mean, I'm much more like I'm, you know, I'm much more looking forward to seeing what Josh Trank does after his incredibly disastrous career. You know, I mean, I'm sure he had onset meltdowns and bad mouths his own movie, but. You know, it's not as bad as... He didn't assault anybody. He didn't, assault, he didn't sexually assault anybody and stuff. He wasn't the subject of any literally entire documentary about a cover-up to prevent people learning about his, you know, the assaults that he did. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to divorce the news story from, like, the Brian Singh element. But do you have any interest in a Red Sonja movie? It's, like, the movie... I don't know what it's like in the comics, but it's such an 80s movie where she's got... She's quite a sort of cleavage-heavy... With like boob armor, she's like a sexy lady. But I, I think like that's, that's part like... of the whole Conan the Barbarian thing, isn't it? I think it's very much um, of that specific era of nerddom, which was super sort of thing into. Terry Pratchett takes the piss out of. Yes, exactly that sort of thing, where it's like bulging muscles and like heavily sexualized women and stuff, like hyper hyper masculine. Um, so I assume they will go a different angle from that, but <laughs> I don't know exactly what there is in the character. Like she is strong warrior woman i don't know it, it it's just a bank slate if, if like if it was a case of they saw wonder woman and captain marvel like both films directed by women and they were like okay it's red sonya the sexy buble directed by this uh <laughs> alleged pedophile <laughs> <laughs> i feel like you haven't quite learned the lessons of those movie successes i got it got women it. are gonna love this <laughs> okay. it turns out chicks like seeing other chicks in movies get me the bustiest actress in hollywood she Who gotta be to- sexy 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 <laughs> Red, red, red hair. We don't want any sort of sexual harassment issues, so get me a gay guy. <laughs> <laughs> the director. Oh, God, he's a pedo. Oh, I'm fired. <laughs> it's too hot today. Do you I... reckon he'll be... Because this was just announced, like, the other day. I wonder if it'll, he'll remain the director. Because <laughs> we're, like, we're living in a time where it seems studios are terrified of any bad press and there's already been a massive backlash and they fired that um, the guy who was going to expect? direct that Jessica Chastain movie name yeah. I've already forgotten that's how obliterated he was for his, and uh, <laughs> you know James Gunn got fired for those tweets so <laughs> I'd be surprised they dug up James Gunn's tweets wait until they read Brian Singer's Wikipedia page for the first time <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd be surprised if he ends up directing this Maybe this is part of a plot to destroy Brian Singer's career by creating get more clouds of disaster around him, you know, yeah. and by giving him a film which is looks set up to be a turkey on purpose. It's like yeah. we really got to get him out of Hollywood once and for all. Hire him for flops and flops alone. Yeah. We'll spend you know a hundred million dollars making this movie and we'll lose all of it just to destroy Brian Singer. Just to destroy him. Destroy him. Um, yeah, I'm also a bit uncertain as to how any film 
like a sort of barbarian type movie is going to work in this day and age that doesn't seem like a self-parody well it's not like an out and out comedy or like a just total flop or whatever yeah it just sounds so much of well, its era the whole motion of it sort of reboot with jason momoa like sung without a trace yeah i'd forgotten that it existed till you just mentioned <laughs> it that's how little of a trace it made well, it's like the Lord of the Rings Game of Thrones thing. It's legitimized then. It's like, okay, this is fantasy done really well. And if you look back at those movies, they're so over their time. Even like Conan the Barbarian, what kind of makes it is like it's shot as if it is like really like some sort of epic uh, text he's adapting, but it is incredibly stupid. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's as dumb as it could possibly be. Yeah, they're like, it is what it is. It's like pulp fiction, you know? It's, it's like. Yeah. It's, it's like it's from the era where all those writers like were writing 800 books a year or whatever and yes. <laughs> the back of pornos. yeah i actually read a bunch of those robert um howard conan the barbarian stories back in the day i was a voracious fantasy nerd reader and it was exactly what you'd expect you know it was like he goes into the wizard's tower he hits people with his big sword the women are always like it's a lot of like you know pulling the women close to you and they melt in your arms you know Wow. It's a lot of that kind of thing, <laughs> which taught me everything I, everything I know today about romance. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey, Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are going to help you out. You got to come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, Don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Okay, American Animals. This is a, a new sort of crime thriller slash documentary thing directed by Bart Layton, who previously made The Imposter. Do you remember The Imposter? I remember The Imposter. Uh, which was a straight documentary, but it was made with a, a lot of panache and had the kind of feel of a crime thriller. And he's taken one additional step into uh, the world of fiction storytelling by making a film that's like mostly dramatic, but cuts back to interviews with the real people that the story is based on. Uh, it stars uh, Evan Peters and Barry Keegan, Evan from X-Men Apocalypse, and uh, Barry is like the kid from um, Dunkirk. He's like on the boat, you know, and he was in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Weird looking guy. Strange looking, strange looking man. Um, and they play respectively uh, guys called Warren Lipker and Spencer Reinhardt, who are these two high school kids um, who are full of, full of ennui and bored with life and stuff. And uh, they're sort of casting about to ways to make their life exciting. And they decide to steal a very expensive art book from the local library at Transylvania University, which is purportedly worth $12 million. Whoa. Here's a clip. So did you meet any new cool people over there? No. Bunch of jocks. You? No. Uh-uh. It's not what I thought it would be. Ever wonder if he ended up being born you? here and not someone else where you ever feel like you're you're waiting for something to happen but you don't know what it is is that thing that could uh make your life special yeah like what Exactly. Like what? So it's it was very very reminiscent of the imposter. Basically, is my sort of first thing. I feel like if I had not known that he'd directed it, it would have become obvious very quickly. And I remember having some misgivings about that movie, um, which are very much present in this one as well. And they're both films that take slightly outlandish, like bizarre, surprising real life stories, 
um, and treat them in a very glossy, cinematic, sort of slick way uh, that makes them seem like, you know, very cleverly directed fiction films. Um, but all that style serves basically to obscure the underlying reality. And uh, this film makes a real point of its verisimilitude. And it opens with a title card thing that says, um, this is not based on a true story. And then uh, not based on fade out. So it just says, this is a true story. So it's like, this isn't based on a true story. This is a true story. Okay. It's like that thing where you're like, I didn't like it. I loved it. <laughs> It's basically doing that to you. Sounds annoying. It is annoying. I was pretty annoyed by that (laughs) right away because it doesn't really mean anything. There's no real difference between this is a true story and this is based on true story. It's just kind of like boast about how real this is. It's going to be so real. Um, And I didn't realize actually that it had documentary elements because if you watch the trailer, it just makes it seem like a straight drama. Uh, But as the opening part of the movie unfolds, it cuts away to interviews with people. um, And then it's like the real Spencer Reinhardt, the real Warren Lipka or whatever. What is what is interesting about uh, documentaries is the um, ways in which real life does not fit into the traditional forms of fictional narratives, you know. Yeah. And they're like they can be exciting stories or whatever, but they obviously have elements which are like because they're real, or unusual, or surprising. And by giving it this um, highly stylized treatment, it just ends up flattening things out, and it feels like the director had a notion of exactly what sort of story he wanted to make, and it's a kind of a genre story. It's like a heist film, basically. Um, and that means that these real people who are set up as these, like, you know, bizarre, wacky individuals taking place in this crazy scheme are kind of flattened out into types. You know, they're, they're either very familiar cinematic types um, or they are just unsuccessfully drawn, basically. So Evan Peters' character, Warren, who's the kind of guy who pushes this the most and is, and is like this oddball, he's like a sort of dropout or he's not at college and he's this kind of slacker dude um and uh, he feels like a familiar cinematic character but the movie just plays into him as weird and it has this slightly like predictable soundtrack you know when he's first introduced there's this kind of like plinky music playing it's like here's the crazy guy you know and you sort of feel right away like you know what this guy is like yeah um and barry keegan's character has sort of the opposite problem in that he's not very consistently drawn at all and he's kind of like this um very talented artist who comes across like a thoughtful and you know, clever person. And Barry Keegan plays him not a million miles away from his character in Killing of a Sacred Deer as someone who's somewhat enigmatic, socially awkward, and, you know, with hidden depths or something. Right. Um, But his actions are, like, dumb as hell. And, uh, you know, he should, like, he's clearly, like, a fucking idiot, (laughs) like, (laughs) as far as the facts of the case are. So you end up wondering, like, is he supposed to be smart or is he supposed to be dumb? Like, what's the angle? And because the film is taking such a strong... Um, uh, it has like the directorial hand is so strong on the tiller basically that you have to you, you know the, the ambiguity of it just feels like a mistake it just feels like he didn't know how to like force that into his mold of making a kind of like genre heist movie um, another thing that is somewhat confused about it is the fact that you know it makes a play of how there's no real motivation for them to do this so they they decide that the two main kids they eventually recruit two others decide to steal this very very expensive book and they have a ridiculous plan to take it from the library and then sell it to like a professional art dealer for like 12 million dollars and become millionaires um and it sort of makes a point of saying how they're like normal kids and they're not from like troubled backgrounds whatever and there's no reason for them to really do this but their main motivation is portrayed as being that they're just um 
they have uh, they're bored with their lives and they want something to happen and they're like oh don't you feel like you sit around waiting for something to happen and you just don't know you know who you are and they obviously want to inject some kind of glamour and excitement into their quotidian existence um and sort of take control of their own lives and become more interesting people um and uh this is portrayed as being a stupid thing obviously because they well, which it is because they it just turned into petty criminals and their heist you know doesn't go all without a hitch i suppose not probably not a spoiler to sure, say sure. <laughs> but the existence of the movie kind of validates them i think yeah because it turns them into folk hero crazy crime people you know like if they had told the characters in the film that their lives were going to be turned into a you know a prestige drama with the star of Dunkirk and the star of X-Men Apocalypse, they'd probably be like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've been kind of granted the recognition and like thrilling, you know, existence that they would like, that they wanted in the first place. Right. Um, and that's, in, that's just um, enhanced by the fact that the real people are in the movie. Like this film is made with a corporation of all these guys and they're, they're kind of, you know, they're not held up as like heroes, but they're sort of anti-heroes. You know, yeah. they're like the protagonist in the movie and they're doing this crazy thing and it has this slick, you know, treatment and it just seems fucking cool, you know. And when the movie is at its strongest is when the, uh, in the sort of climactic sequence when the heist is kind of going wrong um, and uh, it doesn't have the intrusions of the cutaway talking head sections and it's just this kind of um, uh, balls to the wall uh, sort of things get very wild and loose and things are collapsing and you know there's a lot of um sort of energy and, and fun to that and that kind of like desperate idiots doing crimes badly thing i think it's very very effectively pulled sort of off Coen Brothers sort of exactly thing, yeah comedy kind of thing. yeah i mean it basically is that sort of thing but i think it's done well enough that it doesn't feel like a pure pastiche of you know right. those influences or it's not just tarantino or whatever um so I thought I thought it was very successful as that because that's just pure drama, basically. But in terms of um, the movie having a kind of take on its characters, it seems like almost the opposite of what it ought to be. Because, right. you know, the the that kind of why did these everyday people do this outlandish thing is um, not really interrogated by the movie. It's just like, you know, presented as being cool. And it ultimately feels a bit like the desire to do something in as cool and thrilling a way as possible is really the overriding artistic impetus behind the film, not some kind of examination of, you know, why young men act out or something like that. And and it has this kind of, um, there's a bit of an unreliable narrator element to it and like sort of uh, people remember things a bit differently and that's kind of built into the film. Um, but uh, in, I didn't feel like it was particularly successful because it just doesn't really do much with it. It's just like people remember things differently. It's like, of course they do. <laughs> and there's no, no, nothing that they misremember is particularly of great importance to how the story plays out. Would there's you, no real dispute over the facts, the, the, the most important facts of it. So. Right. Would you prefer if it had just been a straight drama or a straight documentary? Well, what I felt about it is it either should have been some kind of like super bad-esque comedy of, you know, about idiots because the stuff yeah. they do is so fucking stupid that it just makes no sense, like, this kind of pretense, dramatic treatment. Um, and Or it should have just been a documentary, because it's an interesting story. And it's like, by going out of its way to dress it all up in all, with all these bells and whistles, 
it just you know makes you concentrate on that it's like watching a slideshow where someone's used too many dissolves between the slides you know yeah. and you've sort of forgotten the actual material because you're just like wow this person's a master at powerpoint um, <laughs> it's just it just ends up being distracting um and yeah it felt it's a bit like you know this is probably a very patronizing disparaging remark to make about this filmmaker please. but it's like like watching some film students final year project you know where they're like i am a genius at this I've, I've worked everything out to the nth degree and i'm just you know the, the perfect filmmaker this is such a movie it looks like a movie you know and whereas that's the that that seems to be like the overriding impulse rather than having any strong kind of handle on what the story is it's just very kind of you know weighty and dark and moody and like you know look at what i'm doing i'm really saying stuff but i didn't think it really was saying things do you think the director then is like the protagonist and it's just his urge to do something cool and memorable supersedes everything else i think that might be i think he is them that's why he, he wanted them. that's he that's why he was attracted to the story gotcha you know? yeah i just thought yeah it's basically start over substance would be the most um sort of uh, dismissive way to put it cool. <laughs> uh and uh yeah found it a bit annoying but not terrible <laughs> i've only i've only said negative things about it i did kind of enjoy watching it it is watchable and those pure genre bits are good um but yeah missable and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-cunchingly poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off So, Crazy Rich Asians This is a big hit in the States It was a sleeper hit Something you rarely get these days It's not done massive business And all the... I think partly because there's a lot of buzz before the movie came out The big talking point being that it's got a entirely Asian cast with the uh, exception of a few random white people at the start of the movie. It's like the Black Panther for Asian Americans. That's nah, not really. <laughs> uh, it's directed by John Chu, who previously made uh, two of the Step Up movies and a Justin Bieber concert movie. And it's written by Peter Trelley and Adele Lim, based on the best-selling book of the same name by Kevin Kwan. The plot is Rachel Chu, played by Constance Wu, is happy to accompany her longtime boyfriend Nick, played by Henry Golding, to his best friend's wedding in Singapore. She is surprised to learn that Nick's family is extremely wealthy, crazy rich wealthy, and he's considered one of the country's most eligible bachelors. Thrust into the spotlight, Rachel must now contend with jealous socialites, quirky relatives, and something far, far worse. Nick's disapproving mother, played by Michelle Yeoh, who's the best thing in the movie. Here's a clip of Nick uh, telling Constance they should go to Singapore. Singapore for spring break. Colin's wedding. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend. Come on. I'm Colin's best man. Don't you want to see where I grew up? Meet my family, my Ama, and meet up with that strange college roommate of yours. Take Lynn. Mm-hmm. She has been begging me to come visit her, you know. The universe has spoken. It wants you over there. Come to Singapore. I want the whole island to meet the brilliant Rachel Chu. So... I was uh, underwhelmed by it. Didn't quite get the hype. And the one fresh thing about the movie is that it's an entirely Asian cast, which I've never seen before. Uh, but the actual... Well, except in Asian movies. Except in Asian movies. Sorry, with a... <laughs> uh... never see, I've never <laughs> seen this never film. Seen... No, I've, I only watch <laughs> entirely white people movies. Um, so that was interesting in that like, it's got a cast of people who you may recognize a few faces and just haven't seen... Uh, these people in a massive mainstream movie before but you know it's better than seeing crazy rich 
uh, Caucasians. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but the actual story is very tried and tested rom com stuff, and you could easily remake the film and translate it into a sort of Caucasian setting. It could just be she goes to meet his family and they're all a bunch of posh Brits or something. The actual Asian element feels superfluous. Yeah, like you know, it's not a particularly Asian story. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's part of its success. I think it's a story about a legendary sword and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the warrior who will produce it one last time. But basically, the whole film I was underwhelmed. It wasn't enough. It's not charming enough. It's not funny enough. It's not emotionally engaging enough. It's just a bit lacking. And I never really bought into the couple, which I think is a big problem with the film. As you heard in that clip, the writing is very bland. I think Constance Wu is very good, but Henry Golding is like this sort of Asian Henry Cavill, just this sort of plummy-voiced uh, automaton like jock who is like super nice. It's a bit sort of Tim Nice but Dim sort of thing about it. <laughs> Where, and I discovered it was his first movie, and he used to host a travel show, and I was like, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I don't mean mean, but I could totally see him hosting the one show. But... He's like the Dan Snow of movie stars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's also very meandering. There are quite a few subplots involving Nick's crazy extended family, which kind of uh, are remembered and forgotten about as the movie goes on, some of which uh, aren't resolved, and some of them are just resolved in very unsatisfying ways, and none of them are important to the story. And it adds to the film feeling overlong and kind of lacking in purpose and i think it would benefit from a more rigid time frame which is also a massive rom-com cliche but you know that sort of thing where they're going for the weekend and then like they obviously have to have an argument before the big event or whatever it kind of hits all those beats but it's very kind of loose and it's just a bit it feels like the movie's interest is in the kind of spectacle of the crazy rich aspects and not the characters um also uh, I mean, this is dependent on your personal mileage, and the film does set itself out as a sort of fairy tale movie. But uh, all this wealth is kind of obscene. I mean, it's just like no <laughs> no human being should live like that. And uh, there's no way this decadence hasn't built on numerous human rights violations. You know, we're gonna need a crazy amount of guillotines. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, like <laughs> I just do. Nobody has accumulated this much wealth without seriously destroying several lives. You yeah. Know? So I I couldn't find that funny because like these people are the scum of the earth. <laughs> Um, another thing I found problematic with the movie is that the film, I don't think it's the film's intention, but it kind of depicts the um, Asian characters, the characters who live in Singapore and are fully like, involved in that culture uh, as quite kind of closed-minded as whereas the nicer open-minded Asian characters are all ones who have like lived abroad or like studied in other places around the world and I don't think it's the film's intention because it's supposed to be about this very specific uber-rich section of Asian society. Um, but Michelle Yeoh's character, the mother, like literally calls Fiona like not Chinese, not like properly Chinese. And I think it's similar to The Big Sick in that it kind of presents one culture and then somebody who's from that culture who's been living in the West and it definitely has a point of view about which one's better. Um, which I don't think was the film's intention necessarily, but it's just a symptom of how it doesn't really have a handle on the material. It's so like frothy and light. It's just out to charm you. I don't know if you're probably if you found the jokes funny, you probably wouldn't think about this stuff. But because yeah. I wasn't laughing, I was like, "Well, that's cool. I don't really see the movie's not saying anything, you know." But it just feels like it hasn't quite got a handle on what it's dealing with. Yeah, you know, these super rich people. I've, I feel there should be more commentary on this. This is, uh, <laughs> this is horrendous. Um, so. It's got some good moments. 
Uh, I did like the cast. Uh, it's a bit uneven, and I liked certain like bits of it. I like Constance Wu's mom character is really good. She's the person who left China and went to America, and I was like, I feel like the movie should be articulating her perspective a bit more than it did. And when she turned up in the film, I was like, this is good. Uh, but then she left, <laughs> and I was like, this is bad. <laughs> and Michelle Yeoh is brilliant. She's like a proper movie star, and I think it shows. Like, because it's got this like cast of like people, like it's all like uh, Asian hyphenated people, it's, like Asian American actors, Asian British actors, like Gemma Chan's in it, and. Uh, she has like superstar quality in the way the rest of them don't so it's kind of good casting as her as the matriarch but it's a bit like when she shows up it's like okay now a real fucking actress has turned up yeah bit, i would say how was uh aquafina she funny she bring not the really she's supposed to be the comic relief her thing is sort of she's kind of like the uh best black friend but not black right <laughs> she's okay sort of doing it she's got a bit of controversy because she does this sort of accent in the movie of a sort of like a african-american accent but she's asian american and she's right. living in asia like in singapore <laughs> so i don't know why she's doing like a sort of i don't know i mean it sounds I'm a bit all, misjudged yeah i mean there's been a lot of controversies about like everyone there isn't from singapore and it's like filipino americans playing asian characters and stuff which i don't i don't want to get into that i don't i don't know i don't feel qualified <laughs> to say anything but like yeah i don't know i found the comedy very very broad there's like a comedy gay character for example, who's like into fashion and stuff and just delivers like withering put downs. Brilliant. But he wouldn't be out of place in like a sort of British sitcom from the 70s. So I was a bit like, this is crazy bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> At so, least it, it is one of those uh, movie titles that lends itself to easy reviewing kind of um, uh, turns of phrase. Yeah. So I would give it a miss, to be honest with you. All right. Don't I see like any films it. this week, guys. Don't see any films. Don't go to see American Animals. Don't go to see Crazy Rich Asians. Just say a stay at home. Stay at home. Watch Bojack Horseman season five. It's very good. Do that. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends who you know where she's at. Right, that's enough. Now back to film chat. Danny, you've been doing a lot of watching. Yeah, I have to say, I have to say that I've been not been doing that much watching. Ooh. Outside of American Animals and episode one of the hit BBC television show Bodyguard, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, I have not done uh, too much watching. Oh, I've also been watching YouTube videos of a guy playing the new Spider-Man game. Uh, How many hours have you played? Don't ask me that question, Danny. This is going to be publicly released, and I don't admit it. So, uh, <laughs> is it like an embarrassing lead? Well, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's a lot, I guess. Okay. <laughs> The more ambiguous it is, the funnier. <laughs> just just think of the highest number you can think of and put a zero on it. And then double it. 100 million yes. billion. <laughs> it's a long hours. game. There's so much content in this game. Um, yeah, give us a little roundup. Give us a little Danny's viewing hour roundup. I've, what do you uh, recommend that's out there? Project Horseman Season 5. Excellent. I watched the first episode of Killing Eve. Um, pretty good. I'd watch, this, I'd watch another one. I watched the Channel 4 show, The uh, National Treasure, starring Robert Coltrane, all about the Operation U-Tree thing, written by Jack Fawn. Excellent. I watched the first episode of The State. Shit. <laughs> Void. Uh, I watched the first episode of The Hang-Ups, Stephen Mangan's comedy, based on web therapy. Awful. <laughs> Don't watch that. Don't watch that. Steph Let's Flats. Pretty good. Okay. Um, no I, hope, offense, I hope you've got like five, a bad. series of like inboxes and outboxes at home, and you're just sort of, you know... 
slotting uh, them into the appropriate places. I watched Pretty in Pink, the John Hughes movie. Quite bad, I would say. Yeah. Didn't enjoy it. Just seems a bit underwritten. The, the, the enjoyment of it was just by how 80s it was. I don't know if, if I was watching it in the 1980s, I'd be like, this is just bad. But now I'm like watching it, I'm like, oh, this is just quite funny. Any any anthems on the soundtrack? Well, the Pretty in Pink is written by the Psychedelic Furs. The from Love My Way featured in Call Me By Your Name. Oh, Same yeah. Band. Oh, right, basically, yeah. It's basically just that song. They had like a sound and That's every it. song was just like, talking over synthy stuff, that thing. I watched the Peter Watkins film Privilege. Very good. <laughs> I watched the Peter Watkins film uh, The Media Project. Less good, but also good. I'm going to do a Peter Watkins Q&A next week. So you've got to, you've got to get up on it. Yeah, because the Q&A on the um, event, it said like, uh, a strong familiarity with Peter Watkins' work is encouraged. Mm. And it was a bit like, you better be ready to fucking participate in this Q&A. You better be super clued up on his stuff. The basically. Watkins neophytes will not be accommodated. Yeah, I think it might be unbearable, but he's a sort of legend and he's 83. And it might be my only chance to see him. So. Well, when you get to 83, you're not going to turn up for the fucking average man off the street asking you the most basic questions, are you? Like, who are you? How you know? How do you get direct into... a Marvel film? Yeah. <laughs> exactly like you don't want to do that you only want to be answering the real fucking nerd shit yeah. every question that is asked by the audience is going to be insufferably deep isn't it i was thinking about because i'm going with dan and do i was thinking about wearing a like genius at work t-shirt so excuse me mr Watkins, in frame five of the war game you clearly see the child put down the milk bottle yet uh, a full 20 minutes you know are we, are we supposed to be looking at some kind of a magic bottle or something yeah exactly ask him if he fucks yeah. Are you too old to fuck, or do you still fuck? Or do you still fuck? So that's what I've been watching. Great. And uh, then the London Film Festival starts uh, next Monday. So. Oh, and this is going to make the previous amount you've been watching look like fucking Child's Play. Child's Play. It's going to make it look like one episode of the Spider-Man Let's Play I've been following. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to have so many more opinions next week. Oh man, that was good. That was a good lot of opinions. Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, hearing them and I've memorized them all and I'll be repeating them as my own. Episode one of the state fucking sucks and you're Did more you see the state it. of it. You see the absolute state of it. I'll be saying stuff like that to all my friends. Cool. Cool. All right, Danny, thank you for joining me. I'm going to pretend like you're a guest. Thanks for joining me um, on my, my podcast, which is hosted solely by me, but occasionally I have you on. Cool. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what have we got on the slate? I don't I don't know. Well, we'll watch some shit. We'll just watch some shit. shit. Yeah, well, I'm going to the World Transformed Festival this weekend, which I might have been to by the time this comes out. I don't know. It depends on when I edit it. I thought we were playing Nerd Time. I'm going on Sunday. Going on Sunday. Uh, You know, there there might be film screenings at that. So so maybe I have something to review from there. We'll see. It's quite a cryptic thing to say. Always playing Nerd Time. (laughs) Not clear what that is. And let's not explain it. That's a different podcast to to be launched. All right. All right. Well, see you then. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Let's do it. The Trump Prophecy movie is the story of former firefighter Mark Taylor, who says he received a special message from God in 2011 that then businessman Donald Trump was headed for the White House. Producer Rick Eldridge says he wasn't sure he wanted to do the film. I knew it was going to be controversial. I knew it was not going to be an easy movie to make. But uh, I also knew that we had a nation that, that really needed 
to hear some messages of, of God's intervention in our country. The movie relives the night. Mark Taylor received what he calls the Commander-in-Chief prophecy. I didn't know a lot about Donald Trump. Um, I just knew he was a very powerful businessman, had built this empire. So I'm listening to him on an interview, and all of a sudden I just heard the voice of the Lord say, you're hearing the voice of the president. Mark went into his office, got out a pen and paper, and started to write what he says the Holy Spirit told him. He was saying that basically that America was going to prosper like never before. Um, Israel and America, the ties between the two countries would be stronger than ever before. Uh, the dollar would be the strongest it has ever been. It was very detailed as far as what God was showing me. Despite the controversy, Eldridge believes this movie needed to be made. We have such a divided nation right now, so I hope this film in some way can be maybe uh, a point toward healing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.